365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental health challenges to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. So today, we have a special guest. His name is Michael H. Ballard, and we're just going to have him introduce himself. So tell me, Michael, what do you do? Who is Michael Ballard? Who's Michael Ballard? Well, I describe myself as a high mileage, scratch and dent kind of guy. <laughs> I, I hit 60 more than a few years ago, so, and I've had five major surgeries and a few minor surgeries due to some serious cancer issues. Right. So hence the scratch and dent, because if you see me in a bathing suit, it's like, wow, that scar's really long. Well, it's actually five scars in the same place. They just kept going on top of each other. So. I used to tease my surgical team, can't we get a little, you know, little tummy tuck while you're in the neighborhood? And if you offered frequent flyer points at the gas station, why about why not frequent stitcher points in the hospital? Because I'd have qualified for the facelift, the neck lift, the tummy tuck, because I was in a lot. So right. I started my life off in business as a sales and marketing guy, and I got to be a retail consultant for nine years, which was amazing. I met the best people. Shout out to Phil Deem and the United Kingdom because he, he moved back close to the family. He was just awesome. I got to work with Ron Root and Ward Parsons and all sorts of brilliant people. Oh, Bill Scott, Tom Scott, not related. Uh, amazing. Louise Rue, all sorts of people that were world-class human beings. And that was great because it was like a big family. And okay. it was social expression slash greeting cards. So it was you were helping people connect and engage and share. It felt good. Didn't get rich, but I learned a lot. So I got rich here and here. Mm -hmm. So that was my then. Married a wonderful lady, two daughters, now adults. Okay. Mid-late 20s, uh, cancer diagnosis. Oh. Five days after surgery. Oh, bad news is it's in four locations, not one. It's spread quite severely. Right. Ooh. Well, me being me, you make a choice. And as I was taught at a young age, do you have the problem or does the problem have you? Right. These 30 some mornings, the problem owned me. I would wake up literally <clears throat> shaking. The problem owned me 100%. So what's the process? Well, go to the bathroom first and take care of your body. Drink some water. I'm on, I, I'm on chemotherapy at the time. Okay. I'm still, I teased that if I could have some high tension wires, I could have lit up a, a medium sized city of 50,000 people. If, <laughs> if anxiety was equal to electricity. So that's what got me started because I asked my medical team. I asked my mental health team, my social work team. You got any programming? No, mm -hmm. no. But I could be dead in six days, six weeks, six months, six years or more. Okay, so they've got nothing for me. I better do an inventory. Because 
I'm not going to live like this in my final days. It's right. okay to be there, but I refuse to stay there. Mm -hmm. So I started doing an inventory. I started the, the after the diagnosis, but after the surgery, you got pain meds, which <clears throat> inter interrupts your normal course of events. So I did an inventory. What do I got? I was really blessed. Two loving parents. Wow. That's one or two more than many of us. A whole host of loving relatives in the extended family. Wow. Two awesome brothers. Double wow there. If they ever watch this, I have to put in a joke that I'm the oldest, but some of us don't look like we're the oldest. <laughs> That's my little poke. It's a brother thing, you know. Okay. Yeah. And so I work at a place where there's lots of people that nurture each other. So I phoned 197 people and said, I'm scared out of my mind. Would you please stay in touch once a day, once a week, once a month, every three months? Send me something positive in your life. No sympathy, no empathy to me, please. Mm -hmm. So if it, you'd have been in my life, I would say, Cloney, tell me something positive about your child. Cloney, tell me something positive about your work. Tell me about the weather. Send me a postcard. It was the 80s, so no, no email. Send me a picture. Mm -hmm. Well, the response was overwhelming. I got like a tsunami of 400 plus notes and cards in the first three, four weeks. Wow. So I got somebody from the business side. Michael, we set a productivity record today with perfect safety. We shipped X number of units, most volume ever for this day, this week, this month, or this year, ever since 76 years. It's remarkable. Thought you'd want to know, buddy. Well, I'm still on the team. So that helps me go from the issue owns me to I own the issue. It's okay. a piece of my life. It's a big piece. It's a scary piece, but it's not all my life. So if cancer was this, it'd be like, hey, go away for the moment at the very least. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to frame slash reframe. Yes, cancer's scary and it owns me. But for now, 23 hours and a half a day. I give myself a half an hour a day to have permission to be scared out of my mind, shake like a leaf. But these notes of inspiration and framing life that life is still going on, mm -hmm. it was gratitude. My mother's friend, Betty, I got to meet her. I was the first one in the community to greet her. I was out at 17 on my bike, getting my exercise, because you got to keep in tone, you know. My body's a temple, even if it is scratching in. And there she was sitting on her front porch. The moving truck was just moving, driving away. So I stopped, waved. I said, you're moving in? Yes. I said, welcome to King City. I'm Michael. Oh, well, young man, my name is Betty. And she went on and my husband is and my daughter and my son and uh, my other daughter. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, we'll see you around. And we might just see you. And I named the local variety store and I named my church. We'll be going to that church. I said, well, we'll see you in church in the next few Sundays. You think you come before you're unpacked finishing or we hit it off. She's honorary big sister, auntie of mine. And so up until she got deaf, I teased her. <laughs> I, and she worked for a legal office, best legal assistant I ever dealt with. Before we had paralegals, we had legal assistants. She was remarkable. Right. That's another story another time. And so she sent me a purple, a purple grape hyacinth, quite tall in full bloom great big green leaves she put it in a gardening hat now she didn't do it the local floor shop she i don't know what she paid but it was serious money it was in a gardening hat with a pair of gardening gloves so the logical part of me was those gloves are too small 
The logical part of me, I got a big hat. That hat's too small. But the symbolism, the note, Michael, we're thinking of you, sending prayers, much love. Betty, Bob, she mentions the, the kids, now adults. Well, purple for your spirit, green for your growth. Mm -hmm. Gardening hat, because you're going to be out in your garden in a few months, and the gloves, you're going to need them. I can't talk about this to this day without going, oh, my Lord. That was so symbolic and so powerful. So, can't you didn't know me for that time? Go away. <laughs> so, that was some of me in the beginning. That's some of you in the beginning. So, what is it that... What is your title? What is exactly do you do? I know that I saw in your bio that you are a keynote speaker. What are some of the things that you talk about? Well, I talk about resiliency. I wanted resiliency talked about in a way that lay people could do it. Because when I first started looking into the research in the late 80s, they still didn't call it resiliency. They mm -hmm. called it anti-stress, de-stressing, de-anxieting, all sorts of and I went, you know, I want to talk about it so that a child in grade three, grade six, kindergarten can get the basics. Right. Because, you know, we underestimate kids a lot. And so that got the attention of a grandparents group who parent their grandkids because mom and dad are no longer accessible. Prison, hospital, serious chronic acute illness, addiction, they're living on the street, they can't parent their kids. And so... When you have an 83-year-old grandmother who comes up to you after you've done a presentation on basic, skill, basic life skills, mm -hmm. and she does this gently in your shoulder. Young man, that two-year-old is my great-granddaughter. That 12-year-old is my daughter, my granddaughter. I need some skills to help them last them for a lifetime. I'm 84. I won't see the 12-year-old make it to 25 and maybe meet a nice person and get married. I won't see the two-year-old get to 15. She's going to need some basic skills. You're going to give me a program to help and that's that was the beginning of me calling it situational mental health yes tell me, tell me a little bit more about that situational mental health so as a teenager i took shaolin kung fu so they had me practice certain things repeatedly and that's depending on who you talk to a minimum of a two thousand year old art closer to five thousand years old mm -hmm. my martial art artist master my my, my sensei who taught us in the practice area called the dojo, he would get us to do things repeatedly, <clears throat> which taught me some skills, but he didn't have names for the skills. Just do this to lower your heart rate. Just do this type of breathing to get calmer. Just do this to get your body when you feel anxious to be awesome. But okay. in psychology terms, they would say I was unconsciously competent. I didn't know I knew. I just knew that if I did these things, well, I can't sit on the city bus if I'm feeling anxious and practice the breathing skills. The lady or man across from me is going to wonder if I'm having a, an episode <laughs> or have I taken something non-prescription? Mm -hmm. So I decided that I needed to be, if I really wanted to do this, I had to be a bridge. I had to have labels, process, structure, and it had to be playful and age appropriate. Right. So that's where I came up with the Imagine Yourself program because at the same time, and she's good now. I can't stress that enough. She's good now. She's in her 30s. My daughter had a brain tumor. Oh, wow. So it's one thing for me as the parent to have these five life and death situations or four, three life deaths and five major surgeries, let me be correct. Mm -hmm. But it's another when your little girl of seven has a brain tumor that's bigger than this and mm -hmm. it's right beside the reading center 
and it could mean she can't read for the rest of her life. Wow. And it's like, I would rather go back in and fight for my life and live or die instead of her having even one hour of this. Yes. Yeah. That's when I knew I had to make this a thing because kids go through car accidents where they see or experience or both loss, death, dismemberment. They go through, kids go through divorces. We go through divorces. We go through our mental and physical health, acute and chronic illness issues, etc. Mm -hmm. It's not fun to fail two years of school in the 70s because you're not smart enough to spell. <laughs> we now know that I am differently smart. Okay. So I'm not stupid. I'm just not smart for school smart. But we mm -hmm. now know there's 10 types of smart and school focuses on two to four, depending on the type of class. Right. So... My, my daughter, I started this Imagine Yourself program. Didn't know what to call it at the time, but so we have some audios to help her become unconsciously confident so that at bedtime she can learn calming skills, which help for falling asleep or napping. Also helps in the car with headphones so she can fall asleep when we're taking the trips to visit grandma and grandpa, which were eight hours away. <laughs> it also helped with calmness before tests in school because as one of my young I taught a five-year-old, when you practice these, it helps your brains come out in the test. <laughs> I'm not going into a long explanation that tests make us anxious. Anxiety gets in the way of our calmness and focus. And anyways, and when he was in grade three, his teacher said he was the calmest child he'd ever met pre-test. And he taught all his buddies. His buddy, Michael, said, if you do this, it helps your brains come out in the test. <laughs> uh, he's an adult now, and I so wish I could meet him to see how he's doing because... He had five sessions with me. He listened to the audios and we taught him. So situational mental health out of the, Winni the Winnipeg research, Manitoba, Canada, said that people with serious mental health issues should go to the doctor, get the proper diagnosis. It takes time. It might be the first two or three things, just like me and my, my insulin, four types of insulin. I'm on my third or fourth type now. It took a while to get ones that worked just so. Mm -hmm. And so I teach kids some skills because the audios help them become unconsciously competent and practice calmness and focus. But the skills I teach, I use kids' names so that whether you're 97, I got to work with concentration camp survivors. Can you imagine? What an honor to work with 97-year-olds and 91-year-olds, 103-year-olds about being calm. Because as their VP of education and the VP of nursing said, as their body fails, given the severity of what they went through, they're getting angry and frustrated. Yeah. Would you remind them? Because she said, Michael, when you made us laugh about aging, you told us that your first surgery at 27 was like a test run of being 91. Things dripped. And after the third, test, after the third surgery, it was like, like a test run to being 97. Things dripped and leaked. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you could make a nurse of 57 who's heard it all, change more adult diapers than most people would in 10 lifetimes, laugh about aging, You'll make them laugh. And I was blessed I did. So situational mental health, skills for calming, the research, it goes along with what from Winnipeg, Manitoba said. It helps people with regular mental health, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's regular. And people with special issues. It doesn't replace seeing licensed registered practitioners, but it's supplements. So mm -hmm. I've helped people practice calming skills because Having had what I call situational anxiety from being told I might die, woo, I had to find calmness. Yeah, definitely. So, so I have meditative walking. 
but I don't call it that. We practice slow walking or turtle walking. I have another version, tortoise walking, because <laughs> then you can imagine a turtle, tiny steps, going slow. I also, for those of us who have rambunctiousness in their DNA, <laughs> I also, because I'm very competitive, I like to appeal to non low competitive and high competitive people. If we're in the grocery store, if I know you, I would love to pretend to be competitive to beat you in the lineup. <laughs> and if I'm winning when I get close and then I defer to you, you go. I just had to beat you. Right, right, right. It's a nonsense game, but because if I can make you laugh, that's, that's my competitiveness. How many ways can I make you laugh by playing the fool and being silly? As long as we stay safe. Okay. So, belly breathing, tortoise walking, turtle walking, also with little boys, especially sometimes with little girls, we do slow races. Pick 10 meters or 10 yards. We're side by side. The last one there is the winner. The last one there. It's a slow race. Uh-oh. <laughs> slow race. And in a slow race, it's the last one there. So we're going to take our time. And so that helps practice concentration. And I get people to lower their center of gravity so that they don't fall over. But you have to walk so slow, you might fall over. And if you do fall over, you're not, you're not a loser. It means you're a winner. Mm -hmm. So... What are we gonna do? How are we gonna do it? So breathing, walking, both of them are practicing meditation and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so then we've got the seven story audio stories. We're starting to do more audio stories. We just did two of them, walk on the beach. Okay. One's to help calm and soothe you. And one's to just give you a little bit of a pick me up. Because of my extensive Shaolin training, extensive in that it was about three and a half years, I didn't get very far because physically yeah. role playing in the dojo where I'm supposed to spar with you and I'm supposed to throw a punch and just touch your nose, not hurt you, touch you. I'm supposed to roundhouse kick you and just touch you. Right. I was a nine out of 10 for best efforts and I was a solid four or five out of 10 <laughs> for skill. <laughs> rationally and emotionally yeah. to practice fighting, sparring with you, I was raised, you don't ever fight a lady unless it's life and death and they have a weapon. To spar, fight, a police officer who was there in his off time because he wanted to learn how to be safer, mm -hmm. he said, it's far better when somebody tries to punch me that I throw a block than to punch him back. Right. I'm a Golden Glove boxing champion, two weight levels, two age groups. I'd be in big trouble even if they were trying to kill me or another person in the room. Mm -hmm. I want to keep people safe. That's my mandate. It was interesting insight to meet these what for the 1970s very progressive officers because they had batons and guns back then and the seven that i got to know four of them i got to know a lot because they did it when they could because they had rotating shifts they were all young it was interesting nobody middle age over 40 showed up at this group but all these just officers up to 32 34 showed up so to be in this and practice fighting with women and men and kids younger than me, I was 14, 15, up to 17. You want me to spar, play fight with a 12-year-old? It went against all my belief systems. Yeah. But I, 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 I learned that I could be calm and civil. And I learned that my words could help me sparring, play fighting, just as much as my... So we're there. Cleone, why'd you wear your grandmother's socks to the ring tonight? Of course, we're all barefooted. 
but that would just take you off kilter for a nanosecond while you threw a block and you didn't get your punch through. <laughs> <laughs> so I have another question. So sure. I think you were mentioning, you were talking about your story, your actual, your challenge that you had with the, uh, I believe it was cancer in four spots. Yeah, it spread to four locations. Yes. So when did that happen? How old, how old were you again? Uh, I was 26 with the diagnosis, and by the time I had the and got the surgeries, most of that happened within a couple of weeks after, which by then I was turning 27. Wow. So then I had, I lost, I went down from 169 pounds roughly to 137 pounds because between the surgery and it was digestive tract surgery, so you don't eat. That's right. Mm -hmm. And you have a tube that, that takes away most of your digestive fluids. So, boy. You're on, a, you're on an IV to feed you. I had 10 days of chemo. Woo. So it was time to be serious. So to go back to, I took inventory. Parents, siblings, relatives, coworkers, long-term friends. I asked for help. Yes. I, said, I don't need money. I'm blessed that my job's gonna take care of that for at least the first 190 days to 120 days. They decided to keep me on full pay, not disability. Oh, okay. I had done my hours. I really worked hard. Not necessarily the smartest person in the business, but <laughs> I put in the hours for them every time. Right. So that took care of emotional, social support, which was huge. My surgeon had had the courage. Can you imagine you're graduating and you find out in another continent over there, they're doing things that are 30 years more advanced. Mm-hmm. So this was the early 80s and or their late 70s when he did this we're still doing 1950s protocols which we learned to do after the korean war and that was a huge advancement people lived and went on to live in their 80s with that but these people in scandinavia countries wow they've really kicked it way up right people have this type of surgery if they qualify can almost be normal except for the size of the scar <laughs> but my days as a bathing suit model never happened so that's okay that's all right. It's all. Uh, right. I could be the before poster for the bathing suit model. <laughs> and so I had a surgeon who was the only person in the maritime provinces. They said there was only one in Boston and one in all over the province or state of Quebec. Mm -hmm. This guy was in rarefied air. University professor, teaching hospital. And so I felt really good that my family doctor had helped me shop for a world-class physician there was only i think at the time two people in the state or province of ontario which was my home province so i was very fortunate to be in a smaller area that had world class in yeah. less than an hour from my house the local hospital 20 minutes away great people smart people doctor was uh, even younger than my surgeon who eventually had me but he was still doing the 1950s technique oh, so wow. it was really a blessing to have a family GP who said, you're going there. If you were 97, Michael, I'd send you down the road. Because let's be blunt, at 97, you might have six good years left. Right. <laughs> that surgery is a bit of an inconvenience. But at that age, you're not horseback riding, probably, and you're not scuba diving. And so one of the things I learned for situational mental health is who's on your side? Who's on your team? So I got to say that I wish I'd have had the wherewithal to realize that it would be really nice to go to therapy to have somebody to talk to okay. so that you, you don't burden your family with 
all your worries and cares. That's so it's, true. It's good to share some things with them because they need to know. But mm -hmm. one of the things that Terry Fox said, the famous Canadian cancer patient and advocate for research for cancer said, was on my worst days, I know how I'm doing. Yeah. But what I realize is that my parents, my siblings, my friends, my loved ones, they don't know. It makes them feel helpless on my bad days. Yes, yes. So that made me realize that don't keep secrets. Don't share the whole book. Give them the index. Yeah. These just, things are, but don't sweat it. I remember one of my cousins saying, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a solid three out of 10 on managing my anxiety. I'm not trembling at least through breathing and meditative walking and, but I'm not, he was and is an amazing guitar player. Paul showed up and for three hours with my roommate's permission, played soothing songs. Three hours. He stopped because his fingers were sore. <laughs> <laughs> I slept for two and a half hours. I went to sleep after 20 minutes. I was in the presence of love and calm. Paul's got a large spirit, a very powerful spirit that's very low key. Yes. But it was like I was lifted up and embraced by his spirit. That's amazing. Played, wow. And then I woke up feeling refreshed. He was still playing. Oh, Michael, you're awake. It's, it, it's been like two hours and 45, 55 minutes. I'll play for a little longer, but my hands are getting really tired. Wow. Wow. It sounds to me like you had a really good, strong support system. Yes, but that's in part because I asked, because I've learned that people don't know what to do. Yes. Sometimes, this was the 80s, people were still scared of cancer. I yes. said, hey, I'm doing my best. I got a medical team that's doing their best. By then, I was in Toronto. My surgeon, Dr. Cohen, was just like Dr. Connick had gone over at the same time. So that's why I got a great referral. And I asked, and by asking, I told the 197 people I called, don't want sympathy or empathy, don't send money, unless you got a spare million, but don't. What I need is, I was framing it, I need you to tell something positive in your life. So to be respectful and silly and serious, maybe it's Michael, I've got a new do. And be like, ooh, looking awesome. So that was giving me something outside of my illness. So instead of cancer owning me, I'm in control. Cancer's a piece of my life. It's not all of my life. I got 197 people talking about life in general that I'm a small piece of. Some of their lives and a bigger piece of others. Okay. So situational mental health, ask for help. I got asked, would I like to play the piano in the mental health ward? That's amazing. Several times. Talk about pull me out of this. Uh-uh. I have cancer. Can't. Cancer doesn't have me. I got cancer, but I'm going to go out and be helpful to others, and I'm going to have fun. So I took my sheet music and my books of music, because back then I had like six feet of it. Only one foot of it came to the hospital. And I went up and played. And there was 12 of them that came and hung around all in their late teens to early 30s, because I was playing pop music that was like 15 years old, right up to almost current. And I had a couple of old standards that their grandparents knew about. Oh. And they were like, Okay. Why would you know that? I said, listen to the lyrics from the 30s. This song was banned on the radio. <laughs> Burning desire was an X-rated term. Can you imagine? <laughs> I said, but I love the song. It's really corny. It's really schmaltzy. But just go back to the 30s. Our grandparents. My Both sets of grandparents were married by then, probably five to ten years into their marriage when this was number one on the hit parade. 
but still, I know one grandparent didn't approve of that song. I just love that retrospective because that was the only naughty lyrics, Burning Desire. Anyways, so being out of myself, playing, sense of humor. Because my chemo was exhausting. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate I didn't lose almost anything. Oh, you didn't lose your hair? No, a little tiny bit, but that was probably stress. Okay. So I, I, I got an IV, I got, when they took off my empty IV bag one day of chemo, I still had the saline solution. At one point, I also had uh, blood transfusion because my hemoglobin was down to 4.1. So they were amazed that I was still active. I, human spirit in this guy is high on the rankings. I'm probably in the top 1% or half percentile for human spirit. I was raised and I am this way. Oh, they were not sure what to do with me sometimes. <laughs> so I, I got a gift of a large grape ivy. I mean, a beast, 1981. I found out from somebody years later, Michael, they spent $79. Somebody from corporate sent it to me. They spent $79. They told me they asked for the biggest one in the shop. Well, it was, the pot was huge. And the ivy was like, it was mature. It was gorgeous, deep green, really alive. I put it on my IV pole. I got some tape, stuck it in the dirt over the top. And I pretend taped it to me, went to the nurse's desk and said, no, I'm not stupid. There's no needle. This is me being silly. I'm going to chat up the ward. So I went room to room. I said, so uh, have they asked if you want to be on the IV transfer? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm getting my chloroform fix. Of course, some of them came up to bed to look. And they went, oh, man, you're nuts. I said, yes, because I'm stressed. I got to be silly. That's true. And I talked to probably 10% of the ward within an hour. And within the day, I probably talked to 80%. And a couple of people came to see me in my room to see my special IV because I was doing research. <laughs> so, so it was it sounds, to me, it sounds to me that um, your ability to be resilient, to bounce back, had to do with your sense of humor, your mindset, um, the people around you. Are there any other things that you had to do to be resilient? What did you have to do specifically to, to bounce back from cancer i guess so so my surgical team the wide variety of choices i believe is what got me saved because i was really ill it was in four locations wow so the surgery and the chemo was the primary yes secondary to that i'm a big believer and the research out of from the neuros neuros cardiovascular surgeon from california about pain people who have prayers have less pain i was up within three days despite the 16 inch incision, moving. My second or third surgery left me with 77 medical clips. Wow. More of me cut out because the cancer came back. So they took out the rest of my large digestive tract, my large bowel. And then they did reconstruction of my sphincter. So I tease people that I'm one of the only men willing to admit he's a bit of a gutless wonder. I got much less guts. I still wonder. <laughs> without getting personal and too much information, other parts were reconstructed. So I'm the only man willing to talk to you and say, yes, this man's almost a perfect ass. <laughs> Funny. So, Funny. So part of my sense of humor for me doesn't work for everybody. And that's fair enough. I lost a friend over this. Yes. Is I take what scares me and I make fun of it. It's still serious. I still had to take care of my chemo. It's like diabetes. When I got my diagnosis, the doctor went, so what do you do? 
I said, Augusta, I'm just too sweet, eh, Doc? <laughs> I'm making so fun important of to have humor, though. It's so important. Like, I remember for myself with my mental health challenge, um, when I did a program called Laughing Like Crazy, which where you turn your pain into jokes. Yep. That was very, it really helped me a lot to kind of become resilient. So I'm assuming um, just poking fun at, absolutely, you know, taking, having a light, looking at things light. Lighthearted approach. Absolutely. So the surgery that's reconstructive for my bottom, (sighs) I had to go in for tissue sample tests of that area and up to the up to the the reconnection scar because they wanted to make sure there was no cancer reoccurring or no cellular irregularity so this is an incorrect medical term but it's a term that works for me is i would go in for a t cubed a tush tissue test (laughs) and so i'm in there and i don't get medicated it's my body i want to look at the screen and have gratitude and wonder wow Because, you know, over time it went from basic, they used a ceramic tube that was uh, two thirds of a meter long. And most of that went in me on a special stand, uh, 18th, 17th century technology. Mm -hmm. And the scissors to take the tissue tests were like 18 centimeters long with all these joints. Right. You could feel them in the tube as they put the scissors down to take a little piece. Oh! but it's my body, no camera in the first two years. And then the fiber optics came along and that's got to the point where it's tiny. It's less diameter than my, probably half the diameter of my pinky. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's invasive and yes, it's a little uncomfortable, but you get to see your own body work. Wow, I gotta tell you, I got a lot of pink insides. <laughs> <laughs> and so it started off as average and then it went to 720 HD and then 1080 HD and I believe it's up to 4K now. And it's amazing. And then again, sense of humor. I'm saying to the gastroenterologist and the nursing specialist that's there, this is amazing. Now I have to tell you, you've got beautiful camera work. Where's the Dolby surround sound? <laughs> of course, they've pumped air in you to look. That's really uncomfortable. I choose to not say it's painful. I choose to say it's really uncomfortable because your words can come quickly become reality. Yes. I choose to think it's just like a bad meal. You're all bloaty and it's uncomfortable. And this too, in the next four hours will pass. And of course, a few times you're driving home after this. Yeah. Why not? It's going to be uncomfortable, but I stay in the hospital for a couple hours, try to get as much of that area pumped in me to pass don't want an accident in the car on the way home. It's my body and I'm gently in control. I wish to do nothing that would hurt me or put me or others at risk. So you book a day. Back in the day, it was every three, every two months. And then after a year, it was every three months. And then it was three times a year and then twice a year. And then somewhere between 12 and 15 years, it was every five years. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, we think that we'll see you every 10 years. Okay. And I was due to go, but uh, this year, and guess what? (laughs) A pandemic came along, and I take the other non-invasive test, and it says I'm good. So the hospital's resources are very vital, living in Ontario, and I don't wish to take more than than I need. So I'll go next year. 
Okay. Okay. So how long have you been, I guess, cancer free? I'm 66. So 33 years old. So 33 years. You've been cancer free for 33 years. And every year is a blessing. Every day is a blessing. I was at my local grocery store and the store manager tells me I have a reputation for friendliness. And so I said, well, yes, because retail is a chance to get out and see people. And during a pandemic, to see people, I don't buy at the dessert section very often because I don't need the calories. Do I want the calories? No. No, no I want the taste. Oh, no, we want the calories. Don't want the calories. We, don't, uh, we don't need the fat. I don't need the sugar. So right. they have nine types of butter tarts at this store. <laughs> I've had three types in the 14 years they've been there. And I've only had six in 13, 14 years. So I'm doing pretty good on the restraint. Right. There's a butter tart in my future between now and Christmas because I have a project coming up. And the lady that I want you to meet one of these days, Alexis, uh, she turns out has a butter tart weakness. <laughs> so I told her, I haven't had any for a few years. So maybe if we bought three and we'd had a half each, and I would come very well managed for sugar, that's gonna put me woo, and I will just have to get my needle out and then be very careful for two days. But life is also about living. Yes. I had a relative who passed, they made it to 89, but when it came to food, it, it turned into fuel. For the 40 years they had diabetes, they brought measuring cups and, tea, and, and teaspoons and tablespoons to the, to, the sup, to the table, and they ate just enough to get by. Mm -hmm. Another relative emulated them, and their doctor kept saying, you're too skinny. You should weigh 10 to 12 pounds more. It's dangerous to your health. Okay. And both of them got sick and died suddenly. Whether that had to do with their weight or not. So I enjoy my food still. <laughs> I, I attempt to eat. If we should all eat 21 meals a week because of my digestive tract issue, I eat 21 regular meals. And then I have a couple of small to large snacks. Many, but not all days. Right. Well, I have some, don't tell my doctor, I have some gourmet cheese in the fridge. I'm going to have grated cheddar, old age cheddar cheese on some Neal Brothers blue cheese, blue chips, blue tacos. Because Neal Brothers cheddar, or Neal Brothers snack tacos have all sorts of goodness and they use the healthy stuff to cook them in. So with some 12 year old cheddar, it's going to be a very expensive snack but it's going to be gourmet. I don't normally buy 12 year old cheddar. That's really expensive. Mm -hmm. I can buy four times more medium cheddar, but old age, old age has less or no lactose. Old, old cheddar has really a good bite. So I'm going to have a party on my tongue this weekend. <laughs> all right. All right. Moderation. So I have another question for you. Yes. Um, so what are three things that you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? Ah, Three. one thing I was not aware of, and I wish I'd have had, and I wish I'd have asked, was I wish I'd have had a therapist I could talk to that was non-judgmental and was not in burnout. Yes, I understand, I understand. I had a couple of therapists that were well-intentioned, but I found out later with some inquiry, they were burnt out. So in yes. both cases, I had to politely leave them to find somebody else. Right. So it doesn't make them unprofessional because I don't think they even knew they were burnt out until I, I was polite and said, well, you shouldn't be. One was wearing inappropriate clothing to events, to our therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. So that's a sign of burnout because you're looking for attention. 
Right. Oh, wow. That's how I see it anyways. So you ladies are all glamorous and glorious of all ages. <laughs> so we're after 25, you become even more interesting from a distance with respect. But anyways, so a therapist with not in burnout with respectful behavior. So that's one. Two. The first go around, I lived out of country, out of province, out of state. So I had my spouse and a couple of neighbors. But oh, how I wish I had a long-term friend who could have come visit once a week for 20 minutes, three hours. Yes. Chat about everything but my illness. Yes, definitely. So by the second time, I would move, I'd been moved back to Toronto. And so then it was easier. Coworkers just were working six blocks away. They walked over for lunch, brought their bag. I, depending on where in the surgical recovery I was, I, I didn't eat at all. I drank my juice only, or I had jello, or I was eating meals. So that was awesome to have coworkers that I loved. Uh, I used to tell my spouse, don't you dare come here more than four nights, four days a week. We have two little kids. After the, after the third surgery, take care of you. I'd love to see you two or three nights a week or in the day, whatever works for you, but don't, don't burn yourself out. Yeah. I think you stayed home and had a bubble bath. Mm -hmm. Take care yeah. of you because our kids need one of us <laughs> ready to go, but yeah. do 20 minutes of something for you. Get a sitter for an hour and go out and exercise for 20 minutes. Right. Anyways. So I, I wish therapist i wish i had a friend there but i was new and the 80s for those that don't remember these didn't exist long distance that that calling 197 people that phone bill was enormous took four or five months to pay it off wow i remember just the first few calls cost me 200 bucks wow it was the 80s phones were really expensive people have no idea if you're under 30 how much money long distance was yeah, definitely. So, so those two. And the third one, I wish I could have had a program similar to the one that I've developed, the Imagine Yourself. I had my Shaolin Kung Fu experience. I got my spouse to buy me Kung Fu pajamas. <laughs> That's funny. All right. They had gold embossing and glitter on them. They were short, like a, like a gown, a cut up, a gown. Uh, I had my spouse buy me some corporate pajamas. They were blue pinstripe, darling. I could have almost worn a tie. Wow. And from a you would have thought I had a, a suit jacket and pants on if they had put a crease in the jammy bottoms. But that was me playing and also telling myself, I'm moving on up. I'm leaving here and I'm going to be just fine. Definitely. <laughs> now, I use the word fine, but that might ring some bells and alarms for some of your viewers. Because there's one person out there I know needs to listen to this. And when I got to the privilege of mentoring, I mentored a young man when I, he said, how are you one day? I said, I am great. I'm fine. I am close to perfect. If I was any better, they clone me as an example of how to be a human. And he laughed and he said, you know, Michael, I'm here because a judge told me I needed a mentor. And I go to seven uh, triple, double A alcoholics anonymous and narcotics anonymous meetings a um, week. My judge order and you're my mentor because a judge told me I had to have a male mentor and he said so when you say fine as an alcoholic and a narcotic addict he said fine stands for effed up insecure neurotic and emotional <laughs> and I was like whoa and of course I had a relative with huge addiction issues based on mental health issues that described that person to a T 
It didn't make them evil. It didn't make them a bad person. It just, they were, they were ill and hadn't started to deal with it at that point in my life. So for the person listening that hears to hear it, just admitting that that's you, it's not a character flaw. It's not a moral weakness. We all got our stuff. My stuff is chronic and acute illness, and I got enough bags of drama and pain to deal with, to help have any 10 people could share. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to share it, but I got enough that any 10 people would still be overwhelmed, I swear it. So taking a look at what are you doing, how are you doing it? So the third one would have been somebody to walk me through some skills to help me become consciously competent. I knew that breathing, I knew that music was important, and we're going to talk about that, I hope. I knew that having somebody to talk to, I knew that inviting people to help me frame this, to help me see what's going on in the world. You have Betty Simmons send me that hyacinth with the gloves and the hat. Love her forever. Oh. Big stuff. One of my coworkers, Rod Stewart's father, Mel, sent me a three-page letter. And he wrote me in, in respectful information without getting graphic about, Michael, it appears you have the same issue both of my parents had which makes me wonder what my fate will be. But they both in their early 80s had exactly what you have, colorectal cancer. They both lived, my numbers are wrong, but this one lived six more years and this one lived seven and a half more years. And they were, up until the last couple of days, they were full, long lives. So according to my son, who knows you much better than I, because I've only heard about you through your reputation, he worked for the same company. Okay. You're going to beat this. But I got this beautiful handwritten letter with a fountain pen done with care and love. And there's another one I can barely talk about because he sent love and best regards with details. <laughs> he told me his truth from his point of view. He didn't say, oh, it's all good, good chip lollipop. No, I've got two relatives that lived through this. And I believe that you have the tenacity with good quality surgical care and nursing care to go the distance. Wow, well, you want to talk about plant a large tree of hope? <laughs> he planted a mature tree of hope in my heart and my head. So. If you ask, it's amazing what can come back. And I had to tell you, there's a fourth thing I wish I'd have known. I wish I'd have known to tell some people I love that that wasn't appropriate. <laughs> okay. Sending me a get well card like I'd skin my knee and you'll be fine soon is well-intentioned, but you're, you're really pissing me off. Yeah. 16 inch incision, I'm 137 pounds. I can't sit down, everything hurts. My thigh muscles. I, 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 another 15 pounds less, I could have looked like the beginning of a famine. <laughs> you know, the only time I saw nobody with fat pads anymore was when one of my friends got AIDS because I lost my fat pads on my forehead. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. So anyways, so those are, so I want to talk music, though. Yeah, that's exactly what my next question was going to be. It's basically... Here, here at Resilient Minds, there Resilient Minds 365. We love music therapy. So yes, I'd, like to know, I'd like to know what are some songs? What type of music do you like? Do you have any special um, songs that stick out for you that helped you towards resilience that keep you upbeat? Tell me more about that. Ah, uh, okay. So we know that if we play music a lot it changes our brain chemistry mm -hmm. and our body chemistry, depending on the type of music. So first and foremost, I had this, what I call situational anxiety. I don't know if that's a formal diagnosis, but almost literally, 
I, I felt the trembles. So imagine butterflies if you're happy because you've met the love of your life. But imagine that on steroids, only scary. Right. So stomach's rumbling a little. You got anxiety. You're, you're, so I knew I had to get to a place where I had more control. So instead of the cancer owning me 100% of the time, I wanted to own the cancer 23 and a half hours a day. Okay. Because to me, perfection is going to bite you. Mm -hmm. didn't have to be 30 minutes in a row it owned me. It could be a minute here, three minutes there. But basically, I was going to go kill cancer. I hear you, body, mind, spirit. I hear you. It's okay to be scared, but we got a strategy now. We're fighting back, okay? So my first song, I like music that gives me visuals. In this case, it was a, vis a, movie from, a song from a famous movie of my era in my early 20s, and that was The Rocky One. Yeah, I love that. If I ever get to meet him or any of the other people in that movie, I believe they changed my life. Yeah. So I walked with my IV poles three days out of, and I was there for 25 some odd days because I was pretty weak. And in my head, dun 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 and he's running the stairs to the Philadelphia Library. I don't know. I like biking, hiking. Long walks on the beach, no, no, not really. <laughs> Couldn't resist, I had to slip that in. Yeah. And that one kept me going. And it wasn't too fast paced. Right. I got a 15 inch incision. I am 137 pounds. My leg muscles look like I'm, I'm, I'm a, an old comic book ad. I'm the before you take the weightlifting course. <laughs> there used to be an ad on the back of almost all the comic books. Back when I was a 97-pound weakling, and it showed this guy that was so skinny, it looked like if you went, he fell over. Right. So I looked like that because I was down from 169 to 137. Mm -hmm. So that song, those lyrics, I was walking those stairs. I wasn't running them. He was running them. I was walking them, but I was making a comeback. That's right. And so in the movie, I hate sit-ups. In the movie, his trainer's got him in the ring. He's leaning over the edge. He's doing extended sit-ups. I don't dislike sit-ups. I really don't like sit-ups. I despise sit-ups. Okay. I can, with, I can run stairs. I like running stairs three, three, three flights at a time. Walk three flights. Walk down three flights. Run three flights down. Walk three flights up. Run three flights. At one point, I was doing 36 to 39 flights a day that way for several years huh. so him doing the setups in my mind dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun. when i get home i'm going to go into training and i'm going to do this so that song it got me in a low-key but powerful way jazzed i got a bed to that song oh wow i played it repeatedly till i got mobile michael you've been in bed for nine hours this was the 80s my roommate was still allowed to smoke mm -hmm. My incentive to get out of bed was go get out of here and go breathe clean air. Yes. I also can tell you to your listeners that he was getting a, a foot, a leg amputated just below the knee because of his bad circulation because he smoked. So it was real incentive to me that I will be 60 plus and I'll be far healthier than him. That's right. Definitely. <laughs> Not a to him, just I will be responsible for what I do to this body and I will be healthier than him. That's it's a low right. bar, but it's a bar. And I went out. Dun, 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 dun. And I practiced the walking. I saw myself doing the stairs. I saw myself doing the sit-ups. And I did it. 
So that one was about positivity and getting going. Okay. And Amazing. acknowledging my sad emotions and my, but this went down and went away because I would do laps past the nursing station. Oh, wow. And the nurses would go, you okay, Michael? And some days, yeah, I'm safe, but I'm not happy. But that's okay. They go, Michael, you're doing really, really well. I said, I think so too. I'm just saying I'm not feeling great. Right. And then, so that was that one. And then that was for the first one and all the other ones. But then by the second or third surgery in major treatment, Billy, oh, I can't think of his last name. The going gets tough, the tough get going. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, it's got a great bass beat. Oh, my gosh. I use that for my emotional self. Okay. Because I was a little tired. I was back in again. Now I'm a dad with one child the first time. And by the third or fourth time, I'm a dad with two kids. My wife and I are both a little toasty burnt out or more. I don't want this to acknowledge what I'm going through. Yeah, I, it, it owns me. And uh, I own it. 23 and a half hours a day. I am safe. I'm becoming more stable mentally, emotionally, and physically, and spiritually with every passing minute because I'm healing, baby. I'm in comeback mode. So self-talk, visual talk. And so Billy's song, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Mm -hmm. ooh, ooh, ooh. I decided that was for my emotional, spiritual self, intellectual self. I don't think I walk to that song very often. But I would sit there, ooh, 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 corny. Yeah. But it was lift up, point in the direction you wish to go. What are the outcomes you wish to have in the months and the years ahead? Because I always gave myself three months to be mobile and with some mobility and some flexibility. It's a big scar. <laughs> yeah, wow. And so that was big. So the first one was rational, emotional, physical, spiritual. The next one was emotional, spiritual, intellectual. Physical, I was still using the first one. Plus, this one was an extra layer. And then Symphony by Vaughn Williams, it's classical, in Fenn County. And there's several suites to it. I like it because it starts off in a, ma in a minor chord. It's really sad and sweeping and oh my gosh. And so I played that because often at five o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, that was the time when I'd go to the nurse's station and say, I'm going to the men's shower room. Now, the first few times, you can't have a shower. I'm not going to the shower to have a shower. I'm going for some privacy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to even lock the door. I'm going to have a big cry. And I would get down on my knees and with a little meaty part, because I'm mad. I'm doing my best. I'm trying my hardest to learn all I can. Anything else? Have a good cry. I didn't feel like the victim. I just felt I've had enough. Yes. So, admit it. What do I need to learn? I'm going to try to be 100% open, but I'm making a funnel shape, right? Because I want to catch it. <laughs> I felt if I did this, it could hit and fall off. So, funnel shape. Pictures, right? And then, between five minutes and 35 minutes later, come out. Washed off the tears, say, I'm done, had a good cry, or, hmm, no tears today, maybe later. <laughs> so right. I want to acknowledge my emotions. That's and so good. Symphony Zen Country set it off really 
sad with these big sweeping sounds. And then as you go through it all, it ends on a major chord. It's sort of like it, like knitting. It took me and undid all the knitting. And then through the songs, it knits me back together again. That's how I chose to see it. So right. what am I feeling today? Am I feeling anger? Am I feeling helplessness, hopelessness? Am I feeling sadness? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Am I feeling detachment? What am I feeling? Give it some labels or no, can't come up with labels. Okay. Or, oh shit, it's the whole thing. <laughs> All of the negatives. <laughs> right, 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 right. So that then, sounds awesome. So I just want to end off. I noticed behind you in oh. your background it says that it's a new book. So tell us yes. briefly, what is this book about and when is it coming out? Well, briefly, because uh, briefly and me don't always go together. <laughs> I always wanted a book where there were stories that inspire you in different ways. I got 31 stories on my own overcoming adversity, I'm sure of it, but this is 31 people. And I know that- Someone like me. Authors out there. Yeah, like this one right here. So you're one of the 31 and it's, we tell one of the stories of our adversity and we overcame it because it's 31 stories of hope. And so I could have told it. And I think that I could have had a convincing story and I still got at least two more books in me to come out. But this way was let's have 31 people, different ages, different cultures, different races, obviously genders. Because a story that inspires me might not inspire you. And a story that inspires you might not inspire me, but there's 30 other ones there. Exactly. And when we're feeling helpless and hopeless, it's not that you're going to read a story and go, yeah, okay, I'll do it. No, it's how do you feed yourself? This is like, like taking a vitamin. The vitamin you take today might not do you much good, except it keeps you topped up. But the vitamin in six days might be the nutritional piece you need for yourselves to fight off something that suddenly arrived. And because you've been doing it, on a consistent basis, your cells are stoked. <laughs> Those are my swimming pipes, by the way, because I, when I can, and when the weather's good and I swim outside, it's about being in tone. So 30 plus one resilient stories. It's coming out next Monday on Amazon worldwide sites. So type in 30 plus one resilient stories, put in Cleone, put in Michael Ballard, put in, Anyways, and it should be there. And so far, UK, Canada, Australia, it shows up number one as soon as you put in 30 plus one resilient stories. And Amazon has so many books released on it that we're not there yet. But I'm sure by Monday, it will be there. Amazing. But, but you'll have the link. I'll have the link. And I will get you the link so you can put it in this before you post it, if you could. Okay. Because we're taking advanced orders. Definitely, definitely. $3.99 US, $3.99 Canada. Oh, and wonderful. Free if you have three, and free if you have Kindle currently. Okay, okay. So, Michael, tell yes. us, where can we find you if we would like to know more about what you're doing? I know you're, you also do keynote speaking. You do, I do workshops. Keynote speaking. I've done workshops. I've worked for major, I've worked for international governments with their first responders, police, fire, ambulance, Coast Guard. I've worked with public utilities. After we had a couple of ice storms in Canada, the public utilities people were pretty burnt out. We had millions of people without power. They had to go, go, go. Well, I got brought in to help the staff, the, the line workers, take some three-hour courses and then go home and have a conversation with your spouse because I was out of town. And you had a single parent in a house with no heat for weeks in some cases, two or three weeks. Right. So I worked with a major IT company. We did a resiliency video series for 
three plus hours and they released it to 10,000 staff. And I'm pleased that within 90 days, they released it to all their adult children and spouses. Because okay. resiliency is something we can learn, but like everything else, when we learn it, we then have to practice it. I still have to practice resiliency every day. Okay. Got new glasses a few weeks ago, and didn't I drop them and they fell apart. And my mm -hmm. first reaction was, oh, blinkity blank. Well, I used stronger words. I didn't say it out loud. The little voice said, um, you live next door to the optician, just take it over. And they fixed it free, done. Awesome. So, I had so to where can they find you, Michael? Oh, okay. Inside Facebook, Resiliency for Life, we have a group and we have a page. The group has 125, 130 resiliency factors and skills shared for people to self-teach. Okay. And Resiliency for Life group, not everybody wants to join a page, a group, but the page shares quite a bit, but not as much as the group. Okay. And then on LinkedIn, if you'd rather, I have a Resiliency for Life corporate page where we share links to upcoming and interviews like ours. Mm -hmm. And then online, resiliencyforlife.com. Okay. Or michaelhballard.com. We're currently, we're featuring the book. Of course, of course, of course. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right, Michael. Well, it was so thank good you. having you. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing your story with us at, here at Resilient Minds 365. I great, hope great guests, that you are all inspired. And to all you resilient minds out there, until next time, please subscribe to us on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also, join the community of Resilient Minds and sign up for our newsletter at www.cleonicrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life, on all Amazon Marketplace. And now, 30 plus one resilient stories. So we have two books that you can grab online. Um, if you think, if you can think of one person that will receive value from today's show or connect or connect with Michael Ballard's testimonial, please, please share it with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of to this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself, only Cleone or Resilient Minds 365 and today's guest, Michael H. Ballard on Instagram. And remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, you can thrive, and you can live a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford, and I'm signing off. And I'm Michael Ballard. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.